Welcome, everyone. I'm Daniel Joseph, and you're on the Corner Fringe. Thank you for joining me today. I actually want to talk about Bible prophecy, and I'm basically going to circle back on my last video uh, where we kind of dipped our toe in Revelation 6. Uh, we're going to go back, and what we're going to do is we're going to be covering the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and this is going to take us several weeks. Uh, I'm going to try to keep each video as brief as I can. There's already a lot of information that I've cut out that uh, I just want to leave the nuts and bolts left to this and uh, to be able just to condense this the best I know how uh, without becoming long-winded. Before we get started today, I, I want to talk a little bit about prophecy and that prophecy, it's, it's kind of, it's a, it's a very delicate thing. It is something that is meant to approach with caution and a boatload of humility. And I, I can tell you prophecy doesn't work the way many of the books present it uh, that you see today where they say, I know what this means, I know what this means, this is what it says. And then only to find out that later on and find out they don't know what they're talking about. Everything that they said is completely untrue. There's stacks of prophetic books that I could show you where prophecy men have come out and failed miserably. And I always like to use the example because it's the funnest, but the 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988, uh, clearly that was a false prophecy. But prophecy works in the following manner. Typically, and I emphasize typically, typically the way prophecy works is a prophecy is given and only after it comes to fruition only after it happens do the recipients understand the prophecy they're typically misunderstood there's typically mystery involved uh they're they're concealed until the time that they take place and 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 there's a reason for this uh yeshua says you know i tell you of things before they come that when they do come to pass you may believe it's not necessarily that all these prophecies that he sets forth were meant to understand. Uh, Yeshua's own coming is a perfect example of this. When he came, his, his disciples had a completely different expectation of what he was going to do and accomplish. And they didn't understand that he had to die. When, when, when Yeshua said those words that, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, they had no clue what he was talking about, and including all the other people who said, well, let me get this straight. It took 46 years to build this temple and you're going to destroy it. You're going to rebuild it in three days. They didn't understand. Only after he resurrects from the dead, then we're told in John 2 that, well, then they understood that he was referring to the temple of his body. And so... As these events happen, then there's perfect clarity given. But you're also, you're building your faith when you see, oh, he told us about these things, you know, happening before. Well, here's where I'm going with this. I believe we're living in days where we're actually at that moment where we are seeing prophecy fulfilled, where we are actually living it. And as we go through this information, now I, I will tell you, there's going to be several videos, subsequent videos that are going to follow uh, this video because of how much information that we really need to cover. But as we go through this, I, I, I think you're going to appreciate that we might be 
heading into the tribulation and that the scariest parts of the Bible are about to unfold. And, um, you know, you can, you can uh, take what you will uh, from this, but I, I, I hope this is going to bless you. With that said, let's break into Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, With a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, it's interesting, out of all the four horsemen mentioned, it's with the first one that we're given the most information. The first one, technically speaking, is the most comprehensive. Uh, You might look at it and say, well, we're not given very much. Well, in the scope of things, we might not be given very much, but in comparison to the other horsemen, we're given a lot. And so what I want to do is I actually want to look at all these elements and show you how relevant they really are and just start dissecting this. Now, the first thing that you need to recognize here is that overall, and I'm cutting to the chase, we could take the long route here, but I'm not going to. This is a reference to the the spirit of Antichrist implementing its power and authority here on earth. Okay? This is critical. Okay, for you to understand that this is the time where he goes out conquering and to conquer. Okay, so with, with that backdrop of understanding, this is the spirit of Antichrist. This is a, a defining moment. This is the seal that really begins the birth pains and the beginnings of sorrows. And they would call, some would call this the Jacob's trouble, the time of Jacob's trouble. In other words, once this seal gets opened, which is opened by the Lamb of God, man, things begin to get insane. They begin to get intense. And when you look at the rest of the horsemen, as we will, uh, they work in tandem. It's going to get radical. It is going to get radical. And so let's take a peek at this now. I want to start looking at some of the elements. And really, the first two elements I want to draw your attention to here on a prophetic level is this horse and bow. Now, I got to tell you, when you look prophetically through the biblical lens of prophecy at these elements, when these elements come together, when you start reading passages about a horse and a bow coming together, um, I'm going to tell you that is, that's when things get alarming. Because what it portends is there's going to be a radical takeover What it portends is there's going to be people in captivity. What it portends is people are going to die. They're literally going to die. What it portends is judgment. All of these things. And there, you know, there's different books of the Bible. I could go and and show you examples. I could go to the book of Isaiah. I can go to the book of Jeremiah, which I threw up an example here for you to look at and just to help you appreciate this. In Jeremiah 4.29, the whole city shall flee from the noise of, look at this, the horsemen and bowmen. So here you have a horse and bow, these these elements, two elements being brought together. They shall go into the thicket and climb up on the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken, and not a man shall dwell in it. Now, this is obviously just a, a small drop in the ocean in regard to the larger context in, in Jeremiah. The larger context is 
God is warning Jeremiah, telling him, you go to my people, tell them, I'm coming. This is, and how God is coming in judgment, this is, this is important. He is sending the most vile, godless, demonic, worshiping Satanists on the planet. He is sending the Babylonians. I mean, these were the vile of the most vile demon worshipers. Okay? He is going to bring them in. And what is going to happen? I'm going to tell you what. There's going to be a radical takeover. And that's what happens. You can go read the story for yourself. They came in and took over. People were taken into captivity. People were killed. It was a frightening time to be alive. And I'm telling you, when we see these things, this white horse and this bow being brought together in this prophecy, biblically speaking, through a prophetic lens, you know what's coming. Radical takeover, there's captivity, there's judgment. All right? Now, that being said, I want to focus on the color of the horse. Now, obviously, the, 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 we're told the color here, the color is white. Now, is that significant? I absolutely believe it is. In fact, as you look at the other horsemen, each horseman bears a different color. Their horse is a different color. The second one is red. The third one is black. And the fourth one is pale. And when you look at the event that takes place, that is recorded with each of these horsemen, which we will uh, in the coming weeks. You recognize, man, the color has an association to the event itself. In other words, the second horseman that comes out, it is red. What do you think of when you think of red? Most of you would think of blood, of death, of war. That's exactly what's going to happen. When you think of famine, it's black. When you look at the fourth one, it's pale or pale green now if you've ever seen had the misfortune of of seeing an actual corpse it's pale green it's pale it's very pale and so the color is significant it's why it's mentioned there is a significance to the color and here i'm telling you the color white and scholars talk about this where they'll, they'll look at this and, and, and they say, this is some kind of deception. This may pertain to deception. And I absolutely agree with that, but I will take this further. It doesn't just refer to deception. It refers to deception in the sense of an act of peace. Now that's critical. See, because historically we all know that white has been a symbol of peace. I can still remember when we invaded Iraq and and this was a war that we were watching. I mean, this was kind of a new thing. We're now watching wars on TV, uh, at least the footage they were given. And one of the shots, I'll never forget this, one of the shots was the U.S. troops had gone in and it was a very short situation and the Iraqis were surrendering. And I saw this whole line of Iraqi soldiers just dressed in rags, shoes falling off. It was just horrible. They hadn't looked like they ate in weeks, but they were all waving white flags because universally they understand they're coming out waving this white flag. Why? Because we're coming in peace. We're not coming here to fight you anymore. We're not coming here to shoot you. 
or coming in peace. This is significant. The fact that there is a white horse and that we know that this is the spirit of Antichrist, it tells us he's going to come in peacefully. And let me tell you something. This is his MO. Historically, we can go back to actual things that have been recorded. Or we have been given prophecies, like in the book of Daniel, of Antiochus Epiphanes. And we can read about how that story unfolded right in the, in the Apocrypha, in the book of Maccabees. And so, uh, I want to take you there and show you this. And this is what we read in 1 Maccabee one twenty nine. Two years later, the king sent out uh, or the king sent to the cities of Judah a chief collector of tribute, and he came to Jerusalem with a large force. Listen to this. Deceitfully, he spoke peaceable words to them, and they believed him. So this, this is exactly what we are, are seeing happening in Revelation 6 in regard to the Antichrist coming out to conquer conquering and to conquer, but he's riding on this white horse. He comes out deceitfully in peace. But how did this play out? Well, it played out this way. But he suddenly fell upon the city, dealt it a severe blow, and destroyed many people of Israel. Now you think about that. In a moment, everything changed. Death started to happen, and people getting slaughtered, people taken into captivity. It was horrifying. This is how the spirit of Antichrist rolls. And so as we look at Revelation 6-2, and we see that this one is on a white horse, that he's going to come uh, peaceably, um, but in deception, significant let me take it a step further and show you the next element that really stands out above the rest. All these elements work together. They're not mutually exclusive, but this one is special. And this one is the crown. This guy's on a white horse, has a bow, and specifically a crown was given to him. Now, what does a crown signify? I'm going to tell you, it signifies authority. It signifies power. You can't go out conquering and to conquer without the crown. You need to have the crown to accomplish the conquering. Now, here's where it gets fascinating. I ask you to open up your eyes right now. And what do you see happening in the world right now? What you see happening, virtually the entire world is being conquered overnight. People are being imprisoned in their homes. They're being forced to close their businesses, forced to, to not be able to go out in, in a manner that they used to live, to, to have their freedoms and liberties. Those things are being stripped. There's no other way to define what is happening right now today than being conquered. Now, here's what's fascinating. How is this happening? I'll tell you, the crown. It's happening by the crown. Do you know what corona actually means? What the, what the definition is? Do the etymology? It means crown. And so you got to look at this whole picture. 
Here you have this one coming deceitfully in peace, proclaiming, oh, we're concerned about your safety. Uh, We love you. It's okay. We're just trying to protect everyone. Uh, Never mind the millions of children, these innocent children that can't even defend themselves, being brutally murdered. See, here's the deal. You'll never convince me you mean peace, that you mean well, and you care about grandma and grandpa and about our safety when millions of children are being slaughtered. That, that is absolutely insane, that whole notion. That's why what we see happening in the world today is, is the only way to describe it is we are experiencing something of epic biblical proportions, period. You know, I got to tell you this. I mean, what we are seeing today, if, if I wasn't a believer and I knew people that were believers and they had a Bible and they, they laid that Bible down, they said, Daniel, man, there's awesome prophecies in here. It's truth. You got to check it out. And I was living in these days. I would turn around and say, really, you have prophecies in there? Well, we're experiencing something in this world that is unprecedented, that has never, ever happened before. The entire world is getting conquered. There should be something in your book there, that Bible, that talks about this. And I would expect to see it in the book of Revelation. Guess what? You do. This is what I'm telling you. I mean, you can't possibly think that this is just a a really wild coincidence that what is being described here is the rise of the Antichrist coming to implement his power. Only he comes peaceably of course, in our our best interest, deceptively. And where he's getting this authority is through this crown. And the very crown that exists today is the coronavirus. Its, Its name is the crown. You can't make that stuff up. I could, you know, you know what's interesting? I, I think and this is, should not even be part of my dialogue, but I'll just throw this in just because I thought of it. But I, I think the first and second century believers were at a great advantage in comparison to us in, in, in this way, that when you read this passage that is on the screen, I think they're at a great advantage in this, that the elements that are mentioned here would have stood out to them and would have personified the very face of Antichrist. And what do I mean by that? Well, this is what I mean. In the Greek mythology, in the Greek pantheon of all the gods, the most honored and revered god above them all, with one exception, was Apollo. And the exception was his father, Zeus, who was obviously, he was called father of all the gods. Well, Apollo was the son of Zeus, as the story goes, and I say God's little G, false gods. But if you ever study Apollo, he is such an interesting uh, individual in the sense that his characteristics, they're remarkably similar to that of Yeshua's. In, in other words, his name, is etymologically speaking, was to derive from Apella, which means protector of the sheep. In other words, he was a shepherd. He was considered the, the god of the sun. Okay? A sun god, if you will. He was considered to be the god of light, Phobos, 
is, was the name applied to him where he was the God of light. And Yeshua came, comes to the world and says, I'm the light of the world. And we know he's not just the light of the world, he's the light of heaven. And we know this at the end of Revelation, that he is the one, the Father and the Lamb illuminate the city of Yerushalayim. They can illuminate the world with their glory. Um, he was the God of prophecy, this Apollo is, is, is the God of prophecy. He's the God of moral virtue. He's the God of healing. And you look at all these things and you're like, man, I mean, it sounds like if I didn't tell you who I was talking about, you'd be like, you're talking about Yeshua. All these things are attributed to Apollo. He is the epitome of a false messiah. Out of all the gods in the Greek pantheon, he stands out above the rest in regard to being a false Christ. Oh, the very first thing Yeshua warns, and we'll get into Matthew 24, maybe next week, but Yeshua warns that beware of false Christ who come in my name. It's the very first thing he said. And so here you have this Apollo figure, which is just screaming, Antichrist, Antichrist. Do you know what he also was the God of? This is just incredible. He was the God of disease. He was the God of disease, implementing disease. Now, let me bring this full circle and why I'm even talking about this. Do you know what symbols that were attributed to Apollo? So when you think of Apollo, what would you think of? There were symbols that he bore. It was the bow and the crown. Both the bow and the crown. And then there would be a third, a, a liar. But these were the symbols. And so I, I, I tell you, as you look at this passage and understanding it, man, this is, this is screaming Antichrist. Man, this would have leapt off the page in the first and second century, knowing, well, I've accepted Jesus, Yeshua, as Lord and Savior, and I know all the other gods are false gods, and yet look at this one. This Apollo and everything that he bears, he's this God of light, and and yet here's his symbols. There's something right here. It's just fascinating. There's a lot more uh, that we need to talk about, but we're going to end it for here today. Um, let me leave you with this. Now is the time to get your house in order. Now is the time to start learning how to fast and pray. Now is the time to get the leaven out of your heart, to get the sin out. All those little things that you haven't been able to kick, you don't have time. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Today is the day that you commit your life back to Yeshua and you pursue him, you seek him with all your heart, soul, and strength. He will guide you through the insanity that we are about to experience because it's only begun. You think what we're experiencing now is crazy? And it is. This is nuts what we're going through. This is nothing what is coming. That's why you need to get right with the Lord. Um, if you're in environments that are not conducive uh, to holiness, if you have things in your house that are bringing you into bondage and into sin, and it could be magazines, it could be movies, it could be addictions, whatever those things may be. You have drinking problems, get the alcohol out. You have pornography problems, get rid of the computer. 
Get rid of your phone. I don't care what it takes. Now is the time to get real. This is the time for revival in this country. And with that said, uh, have a great week. Bless you.